It's time now for the complete story with Dick Bott, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here is Dick Bott with today's complete story. Well, you know, Rich, things are moving so fast, it's, um, but it's very important to keep track of them because what is happening in America is just startling, really. You know, what it's boiling down to is not is not uh, between people. It is between what people believe. Uh, and you have these various, these various sides, these various armies almost, uh, that, that, that that's where the conflict is. But how many years ago was it that uh, President Dwight Eisenhower established the National Day of Prayer? Well, since 1953, they've had the, the National Prayer uh, Prayer breakfast, I think, is what you're talking about. The National Prayer Breakfast and Dwight Eisenhower. Ever since uh, President Dwight Eisenhower, every president has attended the National Prayer Breakfast, which just took place last week. Yeah. Well, you see, you and I have been to two or three of them, and sometimes they're pretty secular. Sometimes they, uh, you know, you're not sure exactly who they're praying to, and they have different speakers. Sometimes the speakers are certainly, uh, you know, little different. But this one, folks, now I just want you to take a deep breath and think with me. I have never seen in my lifetime, and I'm 83 years old, the the acknowledgement of God and prayer and the importance of staying true to your word, things of that sort. But the the National uh, Prayer Breakfast was just a, a few days ago, actually. And who was the speaker? Uh, this is Chaplain Barry Black. He's the chaplain of the U.S. Senate, and I've met him several times at the uh, the National Day of Prayer. But this is the National Prayer Breakfast, African American, and he's the chaplain of the U.S. Senate. He gives a powerful message, and listen to the end no, because yeah. he tells about who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah. Listen, folks. Yeah, you want to turn your radio up? You want to catch all of this? Because uh, he tells a little bit toward the end of his own personal story, which I found very, very interesting. And also, if you listen to the words, this is a prayer breakfast with meaning. Here is now we heard him. We heard him, Chaplain Barry Black, also speak in person at one of the churches where we have radio stations, and it was wonderful. I thought, well, who is this guy? He really knows how to preach. So he was chosen. I guess this is the point I want to make. Of all the wonderful speakers they could have had, they chose this man. Listen to what he says. I want to talk about making your voice heard in heaven. As has already been stated, our lawmakers get together each week for a prayer breakfast. One of the things that really inspires me about that prayer breakfast is the closing prayer when they stand and join hands and they pray together to see republican democrat independent praying together i find myself thinking where are the c-span cameras when you need them eh? one senator observed as some of you may have heard it's difficult to pray like that and then leave that room and go to the upper chamber and figuratively stab one of your colleagues in the back. The senator quickly added, it's not impossible, (laughs) but it is difficult. 
Fewer of you may know that the next day in one of the hideaways, senators from both sides of the aisle meet for a Bible study. The Bible study begins and ends with a prayer, both sides of the aisle praying with and for one another. Some of you may not know that every Wednesday, the chiefs of staff get together for a Bible study that begins and ends with a prayer. Some of you may not know that every Friday, more than 100 staffers, Capitol Police officers, janitors, waiters, waitresses, come together for a Bible study. And that Bible study begins and ends with a prayer. Paul had it right in Philippians 4:22. there are saints in Caesar's household. And I am encouraged by the robust spirituality of so many who work on Capitol Hill. We have senators who are under the radar, but ordained ministers. I won't out any of them right at this time. We also have senators whose spirituality dwarfs my own. We need to come together and realize that when we pray, we are making our voices heard in heaven. I believe they gather because of that. Now we work at making our voices heard on earth. We march, we lift placards, we're involved in social media, we blog, We've got LinkedIn and we've got Google and YouTube and all the ways that we try to make our voices heard on earth. But when I see a group of people of faith of this size, I get an adrenaline rush because I know that where two or three are gathered together in God's name, he is there in the midst. So what happens when we get this many people gathered together in his name. I feel the palpable presence of God in this place. And far more important than letting our voices be heard on earth is the opportunity to make our voices heard in heaven. Now, I know that there are those who say, that the efficacy of prayer does not go beyond the interior life of the intercessor. Prayer doesn't change anything. But I agree with Tennyson that more things are wrought by prayer than this world dreams of. I also believe that when we pray, humanity cooperates with divinity. My friends, there are things we will never get except by request only. There are blessings that hang on silken cords that we will never receive except by request only. James chapter 4 verse 2 says, you have not because you ask not. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus went to his hometown, and Jesus had already said, a prophet has honor everywhere except in his, own, in his hometown. He got there and the people were skeptical. He said, isn't this the, the, isn't this the carpenter's son? 
Where did he get this wisdom and those so-called mighty works? And one of the most startling Bible verses I know, Mark chapter 6, verse 6 says, And Jesus could not do many mighty works there in his hometown because of their unbelief. Not would not, could not do many mighty works because of their unbelief. In Matthew chapter 17, the disciples made an abortive attempt to cast out a demon from a boy. They were unsuccessful, of course. And when they got Jesus privately, got him uh, somewhere privately, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the demons? And Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20, because of your unbelief. Because if you had faith, the size of the grain of a mustard seed, you would be able, praise God, to move mountains. My friends, when we make our voices heard in heaven, it makes a palpable difference. So how do we do it? Mr. President, you may be familiar with this scripture because it was read at your inauguration, but it is so spot on. First Timothy chapter two, one through four, New Living Translation. I urge you, said the tent maker from Tarsus to his protege, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. We need to pray for everyone, all people. Whether they read the Bhagavad Gita, whether they read the Tao Te Ching, whether they read the Holy Quran, we need to pray for all people. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants, hear this, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. Praise God. What a word for those who want to make their voices heard in heaven. So how do we do this? First of all, we pray from a sense of need. I used to have about 45 seconds worth of prayer material until I became a parent. My son is here today. Then you got plenty of prayer material. Praise God. You pray out of a sense of need. My friends, God wants us to pray when we need him. Even as a parent wants to be with a child who needs him or her. The Bible says in the 50th Psalm, verse 15, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, the Bible says, have no anxiety about anything, but pray about everything with thanksgiving. We pray out of a sense of need. Once an uh, international bestseller, Bruce Wilkinson's book, The Prayer of Jabez, what a wonderful story. First Chronicles chapter 4, 9 and 10. The Bible says of this Jabez fellow who prayed a powerful prayer, he made his voice heard in heaven. 
It says, Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother named him Jabez because she said, I bore him with sorrow. Now imagine having your given name, Sorrowful. Imagine being introduced, you know, Senator, I'd like you to meet Chaplain Sorrowful Black. I mean, ima imagine the pushback that you would get. Ladies and gentlemen, our speaker, Sorrowful Black. I mean, it, it, it just said, and Jabez says, verse 10, praise God, called upon the sovereign God out of a sense of need. He said, I love this prayer. He said, oh, that you would bless me indeed, because every blessing is not a blessing indeed. In, in South Carolina, where my mother came from and grew up, they used to talk about a show enough blessing. That's a blessing indeed. I hope the translators won't have a problem with that, but we'll, we'll help you out. Right? And Jabez says, I want you to enlarge my territory. You see, you have not because you ask not. And then I love it. He says, I want you to keep your hand on me. Oh, my friends, just to have God's hand on us. We ought to pray that God's hand will be on our president. I was talking with the vice president backstage, and I said, I'm praying that the hand of God will be on you. Ezekiel 37 says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. We need people who govern, who have the hand of God on them. And then he said, I want you to keep me from evil that it will not grieve me. My friends, God is no respecter of persons. Acts chapter 10, verse 34. If he did it for Jabez, he will do it for you and he will do it for me. So pray out of a sense of need. Secondly, pray with intimacy. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, 16, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends. God wants a relationship with us. Jesus said again in his wonderful intercessory prayer in John chapter 17, verse 1 says, He lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also might glorify you as you have given him power to give to as many as would receive him eternal life and Verse 3 of John 17, this is life eternal, that they might know you, Abba, Daddy, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. My oldest son is in the audience, and one of my pet peeves is he calls, and when he calls, he says, hello, Dad, this is Barry. Really? <laughs> I, I mean, I've got call ID, and he's got to identify himself. If I get a call that says, hello, darling, I should not respond, who is this? God wants an intimacy with us. And so in my tradition, we sing a hymn that I love. I come to the garden alone. Someone knows this hymn. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ears, the son of God discloses and he walks with me and he talks with me. And he tells me, Barry, you belong to me. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other 
has ever known. Pray with intimacy. Pray like Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1 when she wanted that baby. She prayed with such specificity and such intimacy and such fervency that Eli the priest thought she was inebriated. We need to pray with that passion and fervor. Finally, pray for those who govern. Pray for those who govern. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. We fasted and prayed for months during the presidential election, the presidential primary. We fasted and prayed, hundreds of us, on Capitol Hill that the will of God might be done. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Newsflash, God, God is smarter than we are. I, I know that startles some of you. One of the most startling verses in the Bible for me is Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. It says, and God gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, good guy, into the hands of, delivered him into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Now you remember brother Nebuchadnezzar was the guy who said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, heat the furnace seven times hotter than it is right now. God delivered Jehoiakim into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. Now Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He couldn't remember the dream. And he said, since you wise men can't remember the dream, I tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to kill you and kill the members of your family and make your homes dunghills. And Daniel and his friends stepped forward. You remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and a bad Negro, okay? They got together. Okay? <laughs> That's right. There are African-Americans in the old yeah, no. Some of you will get that on the way home. But anyhow, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I just want to make sure you're still with me, okay? And they prayed for King Nebuchadnezzar, whom Jeremiah 27, 6, God calls Nebuchadnezzar, my servant, Nebuchadnezzar. Proverbs 21, 1 says, the heart of the king is in God's hand, and he turns it any way he desires. He gave Pharaoh a dream of fat cows and thin cows in order to make Egypt the breadbasket of the world. And Daniel walked out to Nebuchadnezzar and said, we've been praying for you. God has given us what you dreamed and the interpretation of the dream. We must pray for those who govern and make our voices heard in heaven. I grew up in Baltimore, Maryland. In fact, I grew up in Freddie Gray's neighborhood. Yeah, you remember that. My mother, had a fourth grade education, the daughter of a sharecropper, an activity that Martin King called a new form of slavery covered up with certain niceties of complexity. So I grew up about 30 miles from Washington, D.C. I did not shake hands with a white person until I was 16 years old. Okay? No white people in my church, no white people in my neighborhood, no white people in my school. My mother motivated my siblings and me to study the word of God. She provided us with a monetary incentive, five cents for every verse you memorized. So if you would enter our domicile, you would find my siblings and me searching the word of God for short Bible verses. 
I know every short Bible verse in the book, okay? My favorite Bible verse is not John 3.16, it is John 11.35. Jesus wept. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. I love Luke 17.32, remember Lot's wife. Powerful verse. Powerful verse. 1 Thessalonians 5 is a treasure trove. Quench not the spirit. Rejoice evermore. In everything give thanks. Despise not prophesying. In fact, I was, I was doing my riff on 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and my mother put me on a flat rate. She said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I don't care how much you memorize, you're only going to get a quarter, okay? All right. And my mother knew what she was doing. One day, I memorized 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. I was only 10 years of age. It says, and we are redeemed not with corruptible things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And even at 10, I had sufficient analytical skills to know that the value of an object is based upon the price someone is willing to pay. And when it dawned on me, little guy in the inner city, that God sent what John 3 calls in the Greek, the monogenes, the only one of its kind, his only begotten son to die for me. No one was ever able to make me feel inferior again. Moreover, I said, I got to get to know this man who died for me. So now it was not just for the nickels that I started reading the word. It was to try to find this man. And, and as I searched the scriptures, I, I, it was like a, a, a Zeffirelli movie with the man with no name. I, I, I kept finding him in, in Genesis, he's Shiloh. In Exodus, he's the I am. In Numbers, he's the star and scepter. In Deuteronomy, he's the rock. In, in, in 1 Samuel, he's the Lord of hosts. In Job, he is the redeemer. In Psalms, he is the great shepherd. In Proverbs, he is the beloved. I kept running into that man. And Isaiah, he's wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And Daniel, he's the fourth man in the fiery furnace. In Micah, he is the one who's going forth of old, is from everlasting to everlasting. In Zechariah, he is the branch. In Malachi, he is the messenger of the covenant. Matthew calls him savior. Mark calls him son of man. Luke calls him the great physician. John calls him the word made flesh. Access he is the one who will mobilize us to witness. Philippians says God has exalted him so that at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. First Thessalonians says he is the one who will descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and Jude says he's able to keep me without stumbling or slipping and present me without fault, without blemish before the presence of his glory with unspeakable ecstatic delight in triumphant joy and exultation. And John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day on that isle of Patmos in the Aegean Sea. I saw him high and lifted up. He is alpha. He's omega. He is beginning. He is ending. And so because I kept meeting that man, my hope 
does not rest in the various branches of government, executive, legislative, or judicial. My hope does not rest in the alliances that we build. My testimony is simply this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest flame but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. God bless you. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that I've seen sin-hardened men melted, derelicts transformed, the lights of hope put into the eyes of a hopeless child. I've heard a mother softly breathe his name at the bedside of a child, delirious from fever, and I've watched that little body grow quiet and the fevered brow cool. I've sat at the bedside of a dying saint, her body racked with pain, when those final fleeting seconds summoned her last ounce of ebbing strength to whisper Earth's sweetest name, Jesus, Jesus. Emperors have tried to destroy it. Philosophies have tried to stamp it out. Tyrants have tried to wash it from the face of the earth with the very blood of those who claimed it. Oh, yet it still stands. And there shall be that final day when every voice that has ever uttered a sound, every voice of Adam's race, shall raise in one mighty chorus to proclaim the name of Jesus. For in that day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, you see, it was not mere chance that caused an angel one night long ago to say to a virgin maiden, his name shall be called Jesus. 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 Oh, there is something. Something about that name. 
But there's something about that name Yes, there's something about that name. You know, Rich, when you got back from South Korea, you came back telling us how important prayer is when the people when the people start praying, praying for those in authority, praying for the president, praying for the secretary of education, praying for all of the people that are leading our nation, then, and praying for ourselves. And praying for revival. And every major revival is preceded by a movement of prayer. That's when I heard this message by Dr. Barry Black at the National Prayer Breakfast, starting off speaking and, and preaching about how to have our voice heard in heaven and concluding with who Jesus yeah. is according to the Scripture. And you see, he's a black American raised in Baltimore. And his story wasn't that, wasn't that inspiring. Yeah, bless his mother. Uh, folks, this is Dick Bott with this chapter of The Complete Story as a public service, and I'll see you later. <laughs> 